Welcome to A Pair of Bookends, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. We are super excited to share with you another episode in our debut Spotlight series. We will be shining the spotlight on the freshest authors and their work. And today we are joined by Victoria Lloyd Barlow, whose debut novel, All the Little Bird Hearts, is set to take the bookish world by storm. After leaving school with no qualifications, Victoria made the decision to begin studying when her youngest children started school. She has since obtained first-class undergraduate and postgraduate degrees and holds a PhD in creative writing from the University of Kent. Victoria has extensive personal, professional and academic experience relating to autism and has presented her doctoral research internationally, most recently speaking at Harvard University on autism and literary narrative. As a writer, Victoria has been published by Granta and her debut novel will be published by Tinder Press on the 2nd of March. Victoria, welcome to A Pair of Bookends. Hi, hey, thanks for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much for coming on. It's such a pleasure to have you. Now, I am just going to have to ask you my favourite question, which is what are you currently reading? This is a good question. I'm currently reading The Pumpkin Eater by Penelope Mortimer. I've not heard this one. It's so good. I can't recommend it highly enough. It's quite a small book because I've just started it, but I think it's the kind of thing you could probably read in a couple of days. It's just so beautifully written, just really elegant prose and a really engaging protagonist. And I think it was written in the 60s and it's for its time, it just seems so progressive and modern because the woman at the centre is a mother of many children and her expression of motherhood is so counter to the time. And I think even even to current norms, it's just it's just really original. And yeah, it's a brilliant read. I really recommend it. Wow, wow that sounds great. <laughs> it's called like Pumpkin Eater. <laughs> the Pumpkin Eater. Oh, I love that title. Yeah. I know it's so clever, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I love that. <laughs> so to start with, before we get into your book, um, which we both loved and pretty much inhaled over the course of the weekend. We were both messaging back and forth and we're like, oh my God, are you up to this bit? Like, this is insane, blah, blah, blah. Honestly, um, if, if, we our, were so... if, if our WhatsApps ever go public, <laughs> the things that we were saying to each other, it's like, oh my gosh, have you got to this bit? It's ridiculous, <laughs> no! Like, honestly, the emotion. Yeah, it Sorry. was. So, I had such a visceral response to your book. So Thank yeah, you. I can't wait to get into that. But as this is our debut series, we are asking all authors what their journey has been like in having their debut novel published. Could you tell us about your experience? Yeah, so I suppose it's very untraditional that I left school without qualifications. And I think that wasn't a surprise to anyone that knew me because I wasn't very engaged at school. And then when I had children of my own and they started school, I felt a real responsibility to, because I have children who are autistic and children who are neurotypical. I didn't want to be a model to my children that autistic people can't pursue the things they want to pursue or can't, um, achieve academically and I felt that wasn't the right the model that I was at the time and I wanted to change that so I did my access course and went to university and I was planning just to do the first degree and then that went really well so I carried on and did a master's and then I was planning to do a PhD in Italian literature 
and I had it all kind of laid out and planned and then something happened and this book came into my head from this one thing that had happened and I thought I could actually do that as my PhD and so that's what that's what I did and then I met with Amy Sackville who became my supervisor and so yeah that's how the book came about really the thing that happened I can tell you about it's just it's a really peculiar thing but I went to pick up my school my children from school one day and they went to school in the countryside and all around the school was farmland and woods and every year in our village they had these fires which I presume are agricultural fires but it just happened at one point at the end of the summer every year and I went one day and the fires were on and I said to one of the school mums god isn't it so spooky and sinister when the fires are on and she said very politely um not really um, and she doesn't see it at all and I thought wow you know that's really peculiar that she doesn't see it and then I spoke to somebody else and said aren't these fires really sinister and spooky and then they equally said mm, not really seeing that I just it really affected me that I thought how interesting that these fires make me feel like I'm in the wicker man you know it's so peculiar and strange and it really gives a, a weird atmosphere to the whole village for a few days every year but no one else was feeling it so I wanted to really investigate that idea of being in a situation and feeling enormous danger from something that other people don't see and that's how I got my character who's the protagonist that she she picks up on danger everywhere she's kind of always mm-hmm. on hyper alert but yet she doesn't see the danger in the people around her who she's quite seduced by and charmed by so that was the beginning of the book somehow and that so that's how it became my PhD instead of me studying Italian literature instead so I love that story that's how it started <laughs> <laughs> I um I think I would also find it very sinister and spooky going somewhere and them having these strange sort of fires. Yeah, it is strange, <laughs> isn't it? It's it, is. it is strange. Why is everyone <laughs> acting like this is normal? <laughs> That's exactly how I felt. I would stand there and feel why why is no one saying how weird this is? But I was apparently the only person that felt it. But it's a shame you weren't there to say that to me. I'd have felt much better. <laughs> no, 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 because then then we would have no book. So That's well, true. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Thanks. Thanks for not being there. <laughs> no, I, I really I love that story because I loved being inside Sunday's mind. And I'm not sure if you just mentioned that Sunday is your protagonist, just to be clear for the listeners, but I love being inside her mind and you definitely get a sense of this. You know, she always feels quite unsettled by her environment and the people in it. And you know, there's always something that's off, but she can't quite place what it is. And I mean, like I have anxiety and I definitely get that sense around people people you know especially in new situations or around new people I definitely get that kind of weird thing that I can't quite describe that's just like this I don't know I, I get something in my mind yeah that... I know what you mean it's like it's like you're you're aware of something that nobody yeah. else is aware <laughs> no, of and you're like yeah, exactly guys, why are we not all freaking out about the fact that we don't know which door to use like come on <laughs> exactly that <laughs> but yeah I, I think for me what I found so interesting about the story and and I, th- I feel like it's one of the central themes of the story too was about communication which is kind of what we're talking about and the the many forms it can take because we see Sunday it's quite a unique way of communicating and interpreting um, communication throughout alongside other elements such as like we see sign language in the book uh, lip reading why do you think communication was so integral to the narrative I think because it's central to the difficulties that Sunday has in her relationships so I think that's why it was a focus in the book and I think because for many autistic people that's such a challenging part of the condition and I think it can leave people vulnerable in certain ways um, as it does with Sunday because she focuses on things 
about people that aren't necessarily going to be helpful to her. And so where she's very, very charmed by Vita and Rollo, who are the other central characters in the book, I think she loses the ability to make good choices around them Mm -hmm. because she is just so charmed by them. And I think it's that communication sort of misstep that she has that leads to that. Mm. And yeah, makes her place her trust in the wrong people. Mm. And I think that's that's so easily, easily done. The way that I I find that Sunday communicates it when you are reading from her perspective, it makes perfect sense. Mm. Like it makes total sense that she's going to say that or she's going to think that or feel that and I think what's so so well done about this book in particular is that you do feel like you are seeing everything from Sunday's point of view and it's so well done it's just it's just brilliant I don't know how you thought about Hannah but you just feel so so attuned to the way that she she sees things yeah absolutely and I mean you know the ways that she says probably what other people are thinking but they're too afraid to say which I really respected yeah there's some things that I've often been the room and been too afraid to say and I felt like Sunday will just say them and yeah I, I just really liked that about her I don't want to get on to Vita and Rollo just yet because I have many thoughts about them <laughs> <laughs> I was especially I'm not you know what I'm not going to go into it because there'll be too much there'll be too much one thing I wanted to read I'm going to read your own book back to you I am terribly sorry so I have a quote here that I it's a section that I really, really loved. And it's it's sort of what we're talking about already, because I think what you've written is such a, a unique and important piece of work. And the descriptions like this one that I'm about to read throughout the novel of, of what it's like living with autism in terms of like social interaction and navigating conversations specifically around new people, having to censor yourself as well. Th- these things are the things that I found like incredibly eye-opening. So I'm going to read this bit and then I'll ask you the question. <laughs> you don't. A spoken response and trailed off as I remembered the personal nature of this question. Edith would not approve of such a direct query at a first meeting where conversation ought to remain general. Motherhood was on the long, long list of things you must never ask about, along with everything else I have ever wanted to know. How tall are you? I want to know this of every stranger I pass. Can you drive a car? Have you considered the effects of Italian unification on the South? Do you like to take the bus? And this book? Do you like this book? I do not let these words out, but swallow them back down daily. They crawl around like ants inside me, tickling, biting and unspent. Quietness is regarded as strange, but it is less demanding to people than questions are. I have not arrived at the formula for the number of questions one can ask. I do know that mine are always too many and that one question is not satisfying to either party. I just really, really loved that that part of the book. And I mean, I felt it was eye-opening for me and educational for me. Um, I have two autistic siblings and I, you know, wish at times that I could see inside their mind. And I felt like this was like a, a real insight into, you know, living as an autistic person. But why was it important for you to capture this these specific experiences, you know, the whole social interactions and navigating conversations and stuff? Uh, I think because I don't feel that the autistic experience has really been represented Represented culturally, I feel the representations that I've seen or read haven't been broad enough for me. Mm. And I really wanted to write that from that first person perspective, because I think as well on television and in books, we're often shown the autistic person from a secondhand perspective. So you then filter their experience through a neurotypical person. Mm. 
because you're getting their viewpoint first because they're judging the person at the time. So I wanted to really express that experience from within, from the first person. And I think because a lot of, in my experience, a lot of being autistic is such an interior experience that talking about it from someone else's perspective, somebody watching me, for example, wouldn't understand what I'm experiencing in a situation. And also if a neurotypical person talks about autistic experience, they're always judging it against their own criteria and judging Mm -hmm. that by how it's not neurotypical rather than how it is fully formed and functional as it is. It would be judged then by the criteria it's not meeting. So I wanted it to be a really firsthand experience. And the piece you just read, I think, is quite common to autistic people that we often are incredibly interested in things. So we have a million questions about things or about people that we're meeting. But then because you know or you've learned that a million questions is not appropriate or acceptable, you can then just become silent and ask no questions and disengage instead. I think that was my experience in education as a young person was that it's being overengaged is frowned upon. And so you learn to moderate that and become silent. And at the same time, you retreat. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, I hope a lot of people who who read this can relate to that experience and, you know, understand that it's quite a suppressive experience Mm -hmm. to be told that you're, you're too interested, you know, you're too questioning. Yeah. And just maybe think about different ways to deal with that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I'd like to think that society in like recent years have started to educate themselves a lot more on, you know, neurodiverse people I've definitely seen changes and more and it being brought into that the collective conversation a lot more but I think there's still definitely like a long way to go you know especially in terms of like academic environments yeah there's definitely not not room in those environments for for people to ask too many questions I mean what is too many questions you know you would expect that it in that environment it would actually be the opposite and that would be encouraged. Yeah. I think with the academic experience, that was the big shock for me of getting to university was that because at university, debate's really encouraged mm-hmm. and that very narrow interest in a very specific subject is also encouraged because that's what university is. I really found that university was the perfect environment for me and I was so comfortable there because that was everything that I felt was about, you know, debating everything, having questions about everything, really examining a subject to the minutest degree. And those are things that are great. So I feel perhaps people who fall by the wayside a bit at school who are autistic might find that if they can then progress on to university, they find that actually it's a perfect environment for them. Um, so, yeah, that's the interesting thing about, about um, academic experience for autistic people. And often also autistic people, obviously not everybody, but a lot of autistic people have very spiky academic profiles. So they're very almost gifted in one subject, but then in another subject can't master the basic elements. So for, for myself, I am terrible at maths. And when I say terrible, I don't mean I find it difficult. I mean, even the most basic concepts of maths, I just can't grasp in any way. But then with language and literature, I'm really able. But I think at school, it's so easy to see a child who isn't functioning in one subject and just assume they're not able in any subject. Mm. Um, and that was my experience until, you know, I was an adult and went to university on my own terms and didn't have to deal with maths anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I was also relieved that I didn't have to deal with maths as soon as I could give it up. It was yeah. gone. It was out of my life. Couldn't. Same, same. I got a U in maths, a U. <laughs> I, that meant that I did not take my GCSE exam because I it, it made me cry. I was so, I felt so horrific about maths. Yeah. Um, so I um, I literally, but then I got an A in English, which I think, you know, some, some people, I think we're just wired differently that way. There's mm-hmm. just no way I can grasp maths I will never be able to (laughs) ever but talking about the way that people like struggling to understand where autistic people are coming from Sunday's experiences as a daughter Mm. of parents who themselves it felt like they really struggled to understand her it's reflected back in her relationship with her daughter as well with Dolly how did you want to mirror that mother-daughter relationship and and why um I think I wanted to show that in autistic neurotypical relationships you can both be trying so hard but there's often just that communication difficulty where you both feel trying but you're both coming up against a bit of a wall of understanding and I think also to show that just like all mothers whether Sunday's autistic or not the fact that she's the mother of a teenage daughter is a complex relationship and that she's navigating the same difficulties as all mothers and yeah dealing with losing her daughter you know to adulthood but also just that experience I think so many people have where you love someone that's close to you so much but that doesn't necessarily come with great communication and understanding so yeah I think you can you can see that she's trying but you can also see that what she's doing isn't working for her daughter and that yeah you can do your best it doesn't mean you're gonna always master that relationship mm-hmm. you know you know at every point absolutely and I, I feel like sometimes when you you are reading the conversations between Sunday and Dolly and you kind of go oh don't say that oh she's gonna hate that and oh yeah that yeah that's it she's gonna walk out of the room now that's that's the end of the conversation and you can you feel like you see it coming but you know why Sunday's saying these things or why she's reacted a certain way to something and I think it, it it's a fascinating thing because it is hard enough to navigate I imagine you know when you are neurotypical and you have more of a, an ability to communicate with with each other clearly but I think that actually like it's just a nightmare <laughs> from any respect <laughs> mm. yeah I think the things that are common that all mothers will feel with teenage daughters and it's a complicated relationship yeah I'm not looking forward to it my daughter is three (laughs) and she's already difficult (laughs) I can't imagine she's funny she's she's hilarious I wore an absolutely gorgeous jumper the other day and she looked at me and she said mommy why are you wearing that you are not going out like that I was like oh my gosh you are three so I got fashion advice so I dread to think what it's going to be like when she's a teenager but I feel like I may come back to this book just to hopefully just to have some kind of solidarity with somebody I also had a question regarding motherhood because I felt like you know your novel asks a lot of questions about about motherhood and the parent-child dynamic more specifically about sort of as we've been speaking about society's perceptions of of the two and how society is still kind of ignorant by those things being altered or or changed in some way by being a parent with autism and how much of your own personal experiences did you bring into the book and were you ever sort of reluctant to to share them in the 
the book? It was definitely a decision about whether I was going to identify as an autistic person with the writing. But then I feel that it's so important to be visible when you can be. And that if I had had people who would work in industries that I would have liked to be in and I'd seen them and they'd been there and been talking about being autistic and about being an autistic parent, especially, I would have found that really comforting. So yeah, I think it's a complicated thing to decide whether or not to be so open about things. But I do feel like it's really important at the same time. And as a parent to autistic children, I feel even more so that I want them just to see people doing ordinary things who are autistic or not autistic and not to see that as a barrier to the things they want to do. So yeah, I think it's just really important to have people who are talking about it openly um, and as, as parents and people who are working and having ordinary relationships, ordinary problems. I just think that's a really useful thing. And I, I would have liked to see that more myself. So that's why I think it matters. Definitely. Yeah. I, I mean, what I love as well about this book is that I hope that people are going to go and um, purchase it just like any other book, take it home, read it and enjoy it just like any other novel because it's it deserves its place on that shelf. It's just absolutely fantastic and it's wonderful to see a story with that kind of representation in it because I honestly, honestly, there have been, there have been characters that I've read before that I've thought were on the spectrum or it's very it's very rarely overtly said but where I thought oh yeah I can see that I can identify these these factors but to actually have a novel that is unapologetically about someone with autism but that's just the way it is Mm -hmm. it's it's so important and it's it's so so brilliant to have yeah I agree thank you it's all right (laughs) (laughs) I'm just here for the compliments (laughs) (laughs) I think um, for me what I want to talk about mostly was one of the things that I found most affecting and I'll say this as a mother was Sunday having to grapple with like empty nest syndrome almost you know she's got she's a daughter dolly she's 16 she's she's about to kind of she's becoming her own woman basically and she describes herself in a section of the book and describes herself as grieving almost grieving the loss of her daughter even though she's still living with her she's still there she's still present but she can she can feel her slowly starting to detach from that kind of what I like to call the umbilical curl like you stick with me what is it about the empty nest stories that affect us so much and, and why do we meet Sunday and Dolly at this crucial point well I think as you said your daughter's three is that right yeah so you're in that phase where it's, it's so physical and all engulfing and your your whole day with them all the time you have with them is so intense and you don't really have that much thinking time about your relationship it's just really the physical thing isn't it and it's all the time yeah. and I so I have uh, two of my children have left home I only have three at home but I thought with three at home that's going to be a lot that's going to still feel like a full house but each one is like your beloved I mean when when one leaves it's just such a heartbreak and it feels so not natural in any way that you're just not prepared for that it's so affecting and I think lots of parents really feel that and might be surprised by it like I was and I just think it's a really interesting thing to explore because the relationship you have with your partner is one that you're hoping and building on lasting forever and then being next to you forever and with your child a part of you knows they're gonna they're gonna leave and grow up and that's the plan that's good but at the same time it feels so wrong to be making this relationship that you know is gonna just burn you so hard and yet no that's the right thing and that's the natural order even though it doesn't feel natural so I think it's just a really interesting time and interesting for I think for Sunday's daughter as much as for her because Dolly is wearing a lot of responsibility because she knows how much her mother adores and relies on her and she knows she's going to be leaving so I think she's probably 
carrying some kind of guilt and worry about leaving her. And maybe that's why things turn out as they do, because it's such a hard break for her to make, even though she pretends she's not so close to her mother um, and she doesn't demonstrate lots of love towards her. I think it's probably quite a common teenage thing that they they have to make things a bit uncomfortable. And that's how that's how they, you know, detach in order to to leave and do the things they have to do. But I just mm. think it's a really interesting time. Absolutely. I always I always try and equate it to pregnancy for anyone that's experienced it is that you have if you have a straightforward pregnancy it tends to be quite a joyful exciting experience until about the last month and then you're ready for this baby to come out no matter what you'll try anything to get rid of it you're like come on please I'll need to go into late and it's that kind of like your body makes you get prepared without you realizing prepares you to have a child basically because it's like you're ready now now it's getting it's time to come out so you mentally become more prepared and I feel like teenagers are just that they just make your life a misery because <laughs> they kind of make you want them to go a bit <laughs> life might be easier if you leave <laughs> yeah that's a good comparison yeah that's definitely what's done yeah that's definitely what Dolly does I've said it on the podcast before but like I love reading mother-daughter dynamics because I think it is such a powerful one and you know certainly I think I've said before that anybody that says they've got the perfect relationship any daughter that says they've got the perfect relationship with their mother I just I'm uh, suspicious of <laughs> but I I think you know especially the whole empty nest thing and and leaving the home and and growing up within that dynamic I think it, there's always like a sense of like betrayal and I think you know particularly in this book like we definitely feel that very intensely albeit for different reasons but you know I found that incredibly powerful and I, and I wondered Lydia what without giving any spoilers because I'm being so careful here <laughs> <laughs> what that felt like for you reading as a mother oh it was tough <laughs> let me tell you I, I, I feel like again like Hannah you were saying I had a very visceral reaction mm. to some of the events in the latter half of the novel because I think that as a mother you are very protective and very I think it's just a natural instinct that like I want to fight people that are going to try and take away my child or that may <laughs> you know have different opinions on what she should or should not be doing and so yeah and I think mine and Sunday's personalities are slightly different I am more forthright and so I would have probably I would probably intervene in some mm. of the things that she didn't intervene in and <laughs> those of you that know me I'm quite impulsive so uh, yeah. I don't really me impulsive never but I I tend to act first think later which is an issue I know this has turned into a therapy session but <laughs> Um, but yeah so I think I would have probably got myself into trouble which I feel like Sunday does not but I feel like she may have benefited from from me being there perhaps. Were those <laughs> scenes without us giving spoilers were those scenes difficult to write Victoria as a mother? Yeah I think in some ways difficult because of that but then in some ways easy because you have your own you know experience and feelings to draw on as well mm. so yeah obviously those scenes were informed by my experiences of being a mother. We're, we're, we're 
being very sly here, listeners. Being because coy, I, uh... we're being coy. <laughs> but it, hopefully it encourages you to order this immediately. So one thing that really intrigued me as well about Sunday was her fascination with Southern Italy and Sicilian folklore, you know, even though she'd never been. And I think one of my favourite lines in this book and possibly one of my favourite lines in any book was a line that she says that was, that's regarding somebody saying that they had they were planning to go away to Italy, but they weren't planning to go to the south of Italy. And um, Sunday says, I regretted their mistake, but it was theirs to live with. <laughs> and I just enjoyed that line <laughs> so much. It just really made me laugh. But you also mention in your Granta essay, which is great, and I'm also going to link that in the show notes, about how an intense preoccupation with um, a singular topic is a common autistic characteristic. How did Sicilian folklore come to be the choice for Sunday? Um, Is this something that you're also interested in? Yes, I'm consciously going to try not to talk about Italy too much because this will go on for a long time and you'll be begging me to stop. Oh, never, never. <laughs> it's, it's definitely one of my huge interests and it has been for a while. And in fact, when I was at university and I was writing academically for the first time and very unconfident about my academic writing, the way I got into every single one of my essays, both my degrees were in literature. So whenever I was doing an essay, I always began with Italy, which doesn't make a lot of sense to other people. So for example, when I was studying Victorian literature, my way into the subject was to think about Victorian England as South Italy. And just as in South Italy, there was a real veneration of the family. So there was in Victorian England. And it was based around capitalism, even though it makes the family, it really idealizes the family and kind of sells the idea of family. It was actually boiled down to capitalism and self-protection and those things. And whatever I was writing about, I always began with Italian history because for some reason, that makes everything make sense. So if only there was a link between Italy and maths, I could probably get that as well. Because it's a difficult thing to explain to people, but that's how I find my way into all academic or creative writing is to start with one of my interests and then everything makes sense then. But it's a difficult thing to describe to people who don't have that way of working, but it really works for me. And uh, one of one very common autistic trait is pulling in everything else to your, you know, your chosen interest. And whatever we're talking about, especially with my children, whatever we're talking about, I've always got an Italian reference and they find it hilarious and we'll literally count to see how long it takes me to bring Italy into everything but I think it's actually a bit of a gift about being autistic is the way that everything relates to your special interest um, and for me that's that's like a real gift so when I was writing the book whatever I think about there just seems to be like invisible threads to everything that link everything together in a very not it's not of an obvious way to everyone else but it just makes things it makes things make sense to me in a way they don't without my interests have you been to Italy you know I haven't and the exciting thing is never the exciting thing is that the book's published in it it's going to be published in Italy so the translations just come through so I'm hoping when it's published there I'm planning that I'll be able to go and visit it and get my book from a bookshop in Italy and that would be amazing yeah yeah oh, so that would be amazing I'm, uh, I'm definitely planning but that's how I'm gonna go to Italy for the first time is to go and get my book there and how amazing wow. how I need to know. so exciting I need to know about this trip <laughs> <laughs> absolutely 
okay <laughs> wow That's it's hard it's hard to convey to other people how how exciting that is to me but I mean it's just you know imagine the place of your dreams the place you've thought about for years and years and studied and been obsessed with and then to go there and a little bit of you exists there already it's just <gasps> magical for me oh I love that <laughs> honestly we need to make a movie of your life because <laughs> <laughs> I also absolutely think that we need to do a bonus episode when you come back from Italy just to tell us about the trip because yes. that would be great <laughs> that would that would be a long episode <laughs> we'll do it we'll do it Italy I'm ready <laughs> um I I lived in Italy for three months um oh and I would I would definitely disappoint Sunday because it was not in the south um, oh <laughs> never mind where was it it was in Brescia near Milan between my second and third year of university I was an au pair so I moved I, w- I just wanted to be spontaneous and do something and I wanted to get away from England so yeah I found out that you could just go and live with with a family from somewhere and, and look after the children and I just went and did that amazing and, and live with this Italian family and it was amazing you know seeing their culture and so I definitely like appreciated the references in the book although every time she mentioned you know South Italy I was like <laughs> she'd be shaking her head at me <laughs> But no, I love that, and I'm and I'm so excited for you. I really hope that you get your magical Italian trip. But it's gonna happen. I'm manifesting it for you. <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> moving on. Um, sadly, moving on from Italy. Although I I honestly could listen to you talk about it all night. I wanted to talk a little bit about motive and the motive of each of the characters because to me, motive was never really clearly defined in the narrative, and partly I believe this was because. I think that motive is again something that somebody struggles with and was it intentional to keep the reader guessing along with Sunday about why people were doing the things they were doing and what their real intentions were? Yeah it definitely was. I wanted to give the reader occasional glimpses of the fact that the other characters aren't necessarily as pure-minded as they appear and I think that comes across but I wanted the readers to share Sunday's shock because I feel it's important that they have the experience she has generally and I wanted them to feel that real visceral shock that she feels towards the end and things become clearer to her because that's that's her reality she's not spending time with people who she completely understands she's not recognizing manipulation around her and and that's where the pain comes from it's from that shock when it all becomes clear so I really wanted that to be the reader experience as well that they might occasionally think Sunday is a bit preoccupied with these people who aren't as perfect as they seem but at the same time not to know exactly what their motives are and why they're so manipulative and I think as well because the characters in the book who are very charming and manipulative aren't necessarily from the first moment making evil plans they're just behaving as they do which is they charm people and then when everything's obscured you know they make their move to please themselves but it's not necessarily from the beginning a ploy it's just the way they work and it's the way they interact with other people so I feel that yeah those characters are just being who they are it's Mm. not necessarily an attack on Sunday it's just they're just showing who they are mm-hmm. I think as well like the way that they sort of you know these talking about like these people's motives and stuff the way they sort of other 
Sunday. You know, she's made to feel othered. And I definitely felt like you weaved sort of the theme of like class and socioeconomic backgrounds. Like that was definitely weaved throughout the narrative. And I and I really appreciated that. And I think Lydia will share with me as we're both working class people. I think <laughs> we definitely um, could suss out, you know, the middle and upper class people that are sort of looking down you know, the nose at you. And, you know, we'd walk into a room and know that straight away. And I think, you know, with Sunday, she, she sort of has that experience, not only from, you know, her feelings as an autistic person, but also from, you know, their differences in, in class. And, you know, you'd never explicitly say that she's sort of working or lower class or anything, but you definitely get a sense that she's sort of beneath these people. Was was that something that you consciously did? Um, or is that something that just happened organically in the narrative? Yeah, I think because those class differences can really impact the way people speak to each other and treat each other. And that's something that's so visible. And I wanted that to be in the book just to show how outside Sunday feels and how she's a bit bewitched by them because they are so different to her, not just in their the way that they're so charming, but their experience is different and they take they occupy a lot of space in a way that Sunday doesn't. And I think that's really an interesting thing to explore her relationship to them and also the way they're very comfortable for her to be slightly beneath them and to be impressed by them. And that's something that they actually enjoy. So yeah, I think just that class and privilege is such an interesting thing to explore. Yeah. And I really liked how you explored it in the book. It definitely gave me a lot of food for thought. So <laughs> thank you for writing that. <laughs> so sort of moving on, the, the the pace and the tone of your book, it for me, it read almost like a thriller because I felt so, so gripped by like the intensity of it. And, you know, I really applaud the way that you, you can give the reader new information about a character that is sort of so unexpected, like it just kind of pounces on you. And I know that probably wasn't your intention to write a thriller, <laughs> but the, the, the pace of it definitely felt that way. But I, I wonder where you take inspiration from in terms of your style. Well, the, the authors I like are writers like Shirley Jackson, is my number one favourite. I'm obsessed with her. I'm just reading another biography of hers and I just love her writing. It's so elegant and things seem so ordinary, but actually there's always terrible things going on below the surface. And I love that and Patricia Highsmith and Edith Wharton. I love the way they can just write about things that can seem fairly ordinary, but underneath there's just so much going on and there's a lot of darkness and that kind of gothic domestic. I really enjoy that. And I think in, in my book, it, it does seem like an ordinary person living a very small life, but like, I really like that intensity that's going on and that sense of menace. I really find that interesting when I'm reading other people's work. So I hope that's what I've achieved with my writing. And I think um, as an autistic person, things often feel very intense and very heightened and it's the op- it's the opposite of having that kind of lightness of being but at the same time it's so rewarding mm-hmm. even though there's challenges that come with it I think you can kind of invent these enormous worlds even when you're living a life that's fairly ordinary and small and doesn't seem so exciting but yeah I feel this kind of electric energy around very ordinary things and that's why I think domestic settings are so interesting to explore that I think that's Absolutely. actually a gift you know sensing that electric energy around ordinary things like you said like I think you know there's, there's sort of magic in that but also you know there's an intensity at at times like there was in the book yeah I I just I felt really drawn to your style and uh, I was just thinking when you were speaking about the authors that have inspired you can I even call myself a reader anymore when I've not read those authors you've not read any Shirley Jackson Hannah McDonald get off this podcast don't look at me (laughs) (laughs) so I need to know where do I start with Shirley Uh, Jackson (laughs) well I think her most famous story is called The Lottery and that's a short story she's got several short story collections um she's written two books I think that are whole novels that's 
The Haunting of Hill House and the other ones I think called Through the Fence but the short stories are great so I would start with the short stories because they're and the lottery is a classic and you'll you'll read it and it will be you'll be so shocked it's so shocking and yet just a really surprising just very elegant I mean I could read her every day and I reread her all the time oh well I'm definitely going to read that now thank you very Lydia uh, yeah yeah so one of my favorite books is The Haunting of Hill House and there is a not not the modern adaptation Hannah not the modern adaptation but there is an original film in black and white waving your pen at me I'm waving my pen because you need to know <laughs> and it is one of the most terrifying films I've ever seen in my life again when we've talked about a whistle and I'll come to you mm. well this is a similar of a similar ilk terrifying bone chilling but again it is that kind of like domestic kind of situation that all goes a little bit awry but yeah it's incredible it's incredible right up my street that is right but if we're talking street. about spooky I have to recommend another book which is The House Next Door by Anne Rivers Siddons and that is so scary and it's it's again it's a very sort of gothic domestic setting but it is terrifying I really recommend it Lydia's ordering that right now I am I am so good so good you should definitely read it that's it you can't quite see it because of the light oh no I see oh I can see now yeah amazing so amazing I love that cover as well yeah it's quite an old it's quite an old school book I think it was written maybe in the 70s or the 80s the best, but I, I guarantee best. I guarantee you will love it I, so love, good. Like, I love to be scared I do I'm sorry <laughs> yeah that's proper scary <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've gone slightly off piece there. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. I need all the recommendations in my life. <laughs> so I think lastly, what I wanted to touch upon, with again trying not to give too much away, but I wanted to speak about Sunday and her and basically the amount of grief that she has to endure. She loses members of her family that are very close to her and she has a lot of guilt around that as well. Um so I kind of wanted to ask you about what role that the Sunday's grief and also her guilt play in forming her character? I think what she learns during the process of that year and what happens to her during the book, I think she learns that the charming people who betray her and let her down aren't really winning because although it seems they, they've come out of the situation with what they always wanted, in fact, they have to live with their actions and their unkindnesses. And I think she comes to an understanding, hopefully the reader feels this at the end of the book that Sunday comes to an understanding where perhaps her social communication and understanding of other people isn't as crucial as she'd imagined and that although she suffers losses because she's not playing the game of charm and manipulation but she's being honest and trusting that I think at the end she feels there's value in that and that there's value in the way she sees the world and when I was writing the book that was something I was really aiming for that at the end although Sunday would find these challenges I think that at the end she would also learn to really appreciate her gifts and her way of seeing the world and accepting that there's a cost but that it can be worth the cost to find a peaceful life and to find to live the way she wants to live because there's also a cost to the other people who are who are very charming and use that against people they also pay so I feel she might begin the book wanting to be the other people but I feel like she does end the book with a real gratitude for who she is and not in any way to understate the challenges that come with autism but just to also suggest that there's also peaceful moments and there's also gifts in seeing the world differently yeah there's always costs isn't there but I feel mm. like there's also she has wins as well absolutely mm. 
I, I feel like it's like a manifesto for acceptance like if, if you if you want to just I would give this book to to anyone that was struggling with their identity their place in the world the way that they view themselves because it really does feel like Sunday's journey is very much a, a case of sort of her being able to reflect upon herself more and be able to be like you know what I'm not actually I'm giving myself a hard time because everybody else does but I don't have to mm-hmm. and I think that th- I found that very emotional I must admit mm. I also really <laughs> loved Hannah like <laughs> I I also really love about Sunday that she never really wished anybody any ill will like no matter what they did to her she she was never sort of looking for a way to like seek revenge it was I don't don't really know how to describe it you know she she was just like well this is happening and and she finds a way to to get through it and I just think like having that kind of strength is like so admirable and and especially not not wanting to not wanting to seek revenge when somebody's done something awful to you like I think there's real strength in that as well I think that's part of her rich interior life that she's able to process those things in a different way mm-hmm. and also to recognize that the people who betray her are a different breed like they're a different human and that actually what they're carrying with them is any revenge she would have could never be as good as the fact that they're carrying that with them that that desire to cause pain to people and I think it's like she's been spending time with these creatures who are tigers at the zoo or something and she doesn't quite see that she just sees them as these charming beautiful people mm-hmm. and then they bite her and at the end she's like there's no point you know seeking revenge or wishing ill on these people because they're just a different such a different creature than she is that you know she suddenly realizes that at the end I feel that she's just got no more business with them because they're just a different kind of human yeah mm-hmm. absolutely I'm not, I'm not, I was gonna say something then but it was gonna give something away I'll have to bite <laughs> my tongue <laughs> so <laughs> I think we're gonna have to stop talking about the book one because we're about to go over time I'm very sorry Victoria and uh, two because I am on the on the edge of giving away spoilers because I want to talk about (laughs) I want to talk about certain things so badly but we cannot so obviously this is a debut series so we are wanting to round off these episodes with asking if there are any debut authors that you would like to recommend to our listeners and listeners you can't see this but there is the most glorious bookcase behind Victoria that is very pleasingly to me colour coordinated like my own bookshelf (laughs) (laughs) and I'm enjoying it very much so um, I'd love to hear some of your recommendations okay well I haven't um, read any previews for the spring so I can't recommend any new debut authors but the books that I've read in recent years by debut authors that I've really enjoyed are Mrs March by Virginia Fito and I love that book so much and it did remind me of Shirley Jackson actually that writing don't know if you thought that Lydia did you have you read that did you I've not read that but it's on my TBR and I've just written yes. it down like read next but yeah I think, I think you'd really like you'd really enjoy that I think um and the other one is The School for Good Mothers by Jessamine Chan that I, I um, love it so well. of all time. yeah and I think that's the debut isn't it so yeah 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 they're my they're my two that I've read recently that I've really really enjoyed and didn't feel at all like first novels they were so accomplished mm. but yeah The School for Good Mothers was one of my top five favorite reads last year and yeah. it's just incredible really and special yeah it is being adapted so I'm very excited for that. oh I didn't know that yeah really yeah Gosh, really exciting that'll be perfect yeah I can totally yeah. see that I think it's being um I think the rights to it have been bought by Jessica Chastain's company wow. um 
So I'm interested to see what they do with that. But yeah. I really like <laughs> like really vacuously, but I really love the new cover for the paperback of it. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's what I've got. Yeah, the paperback yeah. cover is gorgeous. Yeah. It's, uh, Google it now, Bookends. You can't see it, but it's gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> and um as as you as you have so many books behind you and we've specifically asked about debut authors, Lydia, I'm taking your question away. <laughs> Yeah, she comes ruining the script, ruining it all. Go is on. is there anything you've been enjoying in recent years or whatever? Because I just want to know what your favourite books are. To be honest, looking at your bookshelf. Well, I do love a reread, so I will reread my favourites a lot. And I think my most common reread is *The Secret History* by Donna Tartt, and I just can't read that enough. And it never yeah. gets old. I've got it on audio, and on my Audible book, very excitingly, it's Donna Tartt who reads it. So that Yay. feels amazing to have her read it. Um, I listen to that a lot um, but yeah I can never read that book too many times it's fantastic amazing have you read it yet yeah you can have my copy it's so so, I mean yeah it's so good so good it's absolutely brilliant yeah oh I can't wait to read all these books (laughs) how lucky am I though Um, so unfortunately our conversation has come to an end I'm very sad about it because you have so many good book recommendations and also you know there's so much that I'd love to go into about the book but it wouldn't be fair on the listeners I don't want to spoil this for anybody so I'm going to put the link to order in our show notes because you absolutely have to get this ordered all the little bird hearts will be published on the 2nd of March by Tinder Press I will pop a link in um, and I'm also going to pop a link in to Victoria's essay with Granta because I just love Victoria's writing and I was hungry for more of your words after finishing your book and went online to try and find something and thankfully found the essay so I was very pleased with that Um, is there anywhere our listeners can follow you and your work online yeah I'm not actually on social media I tried Twitter for about a week but that was it was just not for me I don't blame you it's a lovely friendly place but it's so busy it just feels yeah like a lot so I'm not on social media but I did say um it was mentioned somewhere that you are writing your second novel is that correct yes Ah! yes so exciting (laughs) I'm guessing you can't reveal anything about that right now I wouldn't know where to start. It's a big book. Yeah, but it's going really well. So yeah, wow. hopefully it will Amazing. progress. Oh, well, we can't wait for that. 100% um, we are having you back on when this comes out. I'm just saying. Thank you. <laughs> I'm booking <Please>. you now. <laughs> well, only, only if Hannah reads Shirley Jackson and The Secret History. It's done. Okay. Okay. It's done. It's done. Okay. She will send right. you That's proof. To do that. <laughs> she will send you proof that, and then you'll come back. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on today, Victoria. This has been amazing and your book is just so incredible. It's, you know, such a unique and important piece of work and, you know, that representation absolutely needs to be out there. So thank you so much for writing it. And Bookends, please do go by and read the book and let us know what you think. I can't tell you to follow Victoria because she's not on social media, but please do give us a follow at A Pair of Bookends pod on Instagram and at A Pair of Bookends on Twitter and TikTok. I think that's all we've got time for. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for having <laughs> thank me Thank you on. so really much. lovely to talk oh. to you. Thank Thank you, you, Victoria. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.